Hi everyone, I'm Casper Melville. I am uh, in a slightly strange position because I'm here to introduce you to someone that you might well know much better than I do because I've just met her. <laughs> but um, I think I've been invited to chair this session because I teach global creative and cultural industries at SOAS. I've been here for a year and a bit. Um, I'm partly in the music department and partly in the School of Arts. And so the subject of this talk is right up my street and I very much look forward to it. I've been doing my, my main research concerns actually have been diasporic music in London. I've just been writing a lecture about similar issues in the 1980s London. But I'm also involved in a research project looking at traditional music in Mali and copyright, which I think touches on this. So let me introduce you to <laughs> Anne Schumann, uh, who is uh, in some sense back home, perhaps. <coughs> I don't know. She's, uh, she did her PhD, she got her PhD in 2011 from SOAS. And um, for the last few years, she's been a visiting fellow at uh, the University of Witwatersrand in the media department, although spending a lot of time doing research in um, Cote d'Ivoire. And today we're going to be hearing about the sort of collision between culture, music, copyright and economy in the Cote d'Ivoire in relation in particular, I think, to new, form, new kinds of uh, uh, spaces where new forms of music and culture are emerging. Uh, so without further ado, uh, Anne, over to you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot to SOAS and to Cass for allowing me to come here and talk about uh, my research. It's ongoing research, so um, you'll yeah, I'll, I'll invite you to make comments and help me think through some of these issues. So this paper um, is going to examine uh, new performance spaces in Abidjan and the role of cultural entrepreneurs in reviving uh, the Ivorian music sector. Um, I'm going to be uh, looking at these spaces where live Zouglou music is being performed. I uh, did my PhD at SOAS here, looking at Zouglou music in, in its kind of socio-historic context, looking partly at it um, as a form of oral narrative. And now I'm looking more uh, at the music industry itself and, and the context in which this music is actually being made. Um, I'm kind of borrowing slightly or nodding to the, uh, the whole kind of new field of uh, the creative uh, economy and creative and cultural industries. Although I'm going to be looking at that slightly from a slightly different angle because um, the idea of Abidjan as a sort of creative city has its own history dating back from the time when uh, there was a sort of rivalry between uh, Senegal uh, of the time of Leopold Sedar Senghor and uh, Abidjan under Houphouët Boigny, in at, at which time cultural policy was used a lot for nation building. And so both of these cities were competing to be cultural hubs in West Africa. And that, so that idea of Abidjan as a creative city and as a creative hub exists, exists since a long time, but has a different trajectory from <coughs> that which we normally uh, encounter in Western academic literature. Um, so at that time, a lot of artists would be coming from uh, Mali or from Congo to use the high-quality uh, recording studios in Abidjan. Um, th that situation has changed since then, and that's part of, of what I'm talking about. Um, so at the same time, I'm also trying to address a little bit of an imbalance because up until now, a lot of the work on the creative and cultural industries 
has been done on the mostly Anglophone West, um, which Cote d'Ivoire is neither Anglophone nor Western. Um, so I'm using these concepts as to finish this preamble, sort of loosely thinking about Abidjan as a creative city, um, knowing that some of these models cannot be uh, imported directly into the uh, situation in West Africa. And I'm also trying to refer to the to a music sector rather than music industry to be able to include uh, those aspects which are not part of uh, industrial realm of produ production. So Zouglou music itself, which is going to be sort of the musical focus of this paper, um, is one of those uh, things that didn't used to be heavily commercialized. It arose out of a vernacular pastime. And so the different snippets of songs that I played were supposed to uh, kind of illustrate the different tendencies in Zouglou music. Some of it is much more influenced by the new live sound, and some of it is um, much more kind of influenced by the situation in the studios. And the other song that I played was supposed to kind of bring out its rhythmic bass, because uh, Zouglou music started as, uh, as kind of percussive music and as a vernacular pastime. Nowadays, Zouglou music fills the airwaves of the public and private radio stations in Abidjan. It fills the airwaves of pretty much every minibus taxi and uh, kind of small four-person taxi. Um, it has uh, special dedicated shows on television. And now uh, a new development is that uh, there are a lot of new live music uh, places where Zouglou um, is being played mostly on the weekends, but also um, on weekdays. So the conditions that made the emergence of Zouglou music possible are part of a larger context that has also influenced other uh, West African genres of popular music. Um, so one of them would be the political liberalization that allowed the emergence of new radio stations uh, that then allowed the dissemination of these musical genres, uh, and as well as the technological developments that facilitated recording or the increasing importance of cultural hardware. So first cassette players and television sets, then CDs, VCDs, and now mobile phones and computers. And then of course there's a large young population in urban centers, such as Abidjan. Ah, yes. Um, this is just to give you an overview of some of the um, some of the issues that I'll be talking about. Um, I haven't even got there yet, so I'm still <laughs> at the introduction. Um, so this trajectory um, has some elements in common with the factors that led to the growth of the, growth of the creative <coughs> and cultural industries in the West, where though in the West, the growth of the creative and cultural industries followed economic development, it said, and the thesis that is being put forward by some of the UN agency is that the cultural sector and cultural industries can be a driver of development in West Africa. And part of this talk is kind of question that idea or look at how that would then work in practice. So Zulu music is um, predominantly locally uh, produced and uh, recorded, and pirated CDs and VCDs dominate the market. And it's at the same time these um, informal modes of circulation that have contributed to the diffusions of Zulu music 
while at the same time undermining the financial viability of the Ivorian music industry. So until about 2008, Zuglu music has <coughs> been considered as overly dependent on technology, um, meaning that artists were accused of relying very heavily on rhythm tracks without necessarily mastering the instruments themselves. Or they would be accused of being studio singers, meaning artists that would record in a studio but wouldn't really be capable of performing live. And this was in many ways the case. Most uh, music performances, either on TV or live, weren't actually happening live. They were happening with playback. So a uh, shortcut for saying uh, miming to a soundtrack. Um, don't know whether you can see this well, yes. how good the lights are. So an example of playback. Um, there aren't any instruments um, uh, on stage. Um, sometimes the entire, the entire song would be played uh, and the artist would uh, concentrate on the dances. On other times, you'd have just the rhythm track and the artist would then do the singing on stage. Um, So at this time, um, this is when I was doing my research, uh, my PhD research, uh, there was a lot of talk about mu Zuglu music deteriorating, Zuglu music dying, um, kind of the, the era of Zuglu coming to an end. Zuglu uh, kind of came about in the early 1990s. And so the main uh, problem, according to Zuglu artists, was and is uh, the issue of copyright piracy. Um, in the, when Zuglu music first emerged in the early 90s, it was mostly um, circulating in cassette format. Um, at that time, there was already an issue with piracy. This is a, a newspaper article from 1985. So it's not that the phenomenon of piracy is in itself a new phenomenon, but it uh, was amplified with the emergence of CDs and VCDs. <coughs> so, for example, to, to get a rough estimate out and about, and knowing, of course, that it's very difficult to give like numerical um, estimates to some of these phenomena, um, nevertheless, the World Bank's Africa Music Project in 2004 noted that estimates for West Africa um, put a piracy level as high as 85 to 90 percent. So it's a very serious problem. And it's a problem that has caused the um, shutting down and the bankruptcy of Ivorian record labels, including Showbiz, which is Cote d'Ivoire's largest record label that hosts uh, up to 80% of releases. Um, other big labels such as Emi Jat and Ivoire Top Music have also closed. Um, of course, when these uh, labels close, it's a number of jobs that are being lo lost. It's uh, being big institutions in the Ivorian music business that are falling apart. And at the same time, albums are being lost forever. Because what has happened to Zuglu artists, I know, is that the albums that they released early on in their career are just simply gone. They haven't got a master. Nobody has a master. The label no longer exists, and it's gone. Um, to illustrate this, 
voila, this is showbiz, um, or what's left of showbiz. Um, to illustrate the scale of piracy in Cote d'Ivoire, um, for example, the album by Magic System, which is a very famous Zouglo group, uh, Petit Pompier, uh, was said to have sold about 3 million CDs in local piracy uh, in 2005. Um, this is according to the director of Showbiz. And while I was doing my research in 2008, the album Sinzo by the artist Yoda and Ciro was temporarily sold out on pirate markets. It wasn't sold out in the original CD markets, but at the same time there's a problem of distribution, meaning that the original CDs are sometimes very hard to find. So um, artists then have said that this new um, development, in these new de uh, technological developments have had a positive side, meaning that it's more easy to market your music internationally. But, you, but there's a problem of actually earning money from that. And artists have said that actually what is really necessary is getting some workshops on how to actually promote your music online, how to sell it online, how to actually recuperate the profit, how to do crowdfunding and a lot of other things that you that aren't really well um, well known in Cote d'Ivoire at this point. So one artist said at that time, basically what's happening now is you become known, but you gain nothing. So that brings us back to this <coughs> old kind of idea um, of symbolic capital, the fame of the artist that isn't translating to financial capital. Um, there's also a problem that artists raise now and, uh, or now and again and fairly often is the um, idea of uh, a lack of political will on the part of the authorities because um, artists believe that it's in the government's interest to keep artists vulnerable so that they can then more easily fall prey to political uh, manipulation and to be used in political mobilization um, as took uh, part under the recent Bagbo government. Under the Ouattara government, um, there is not much um, focus on the musical uh, industry, and artists have interpreted that as a sort of disdain, because a lot of Zulu artists were seen as supporters of the Bagbo government. Um, now looking at the different concert venues, um, because the concert venues were seen as another issue that made it difficult to um, organize live performances and profitable performances on top of the issue of the lack of actual live performances and the issue of playback. Um, so while income from albums remained low, concerts and performances became a major source of income. But the concert, uh, the idea of concerts was also, the possibility of concerts was also hampered by a lack of appropriate venues and the high cost of the existing venues. This is the Palais de la Culture in Trashville. Um, it's where that other playback picture was uh, taken. Um, this is one of the most expensive venues in West Africa. Another venue that is well known is the Salle des Congrès à l'Hôtel Ivoire and the Hotel Ivoire is one of the most upmarket uh, hotels in the city. Then there was for a long time the concert hall of the French Cultural Center, but that had been closed for over 10 years after an attack uh, by a young Patriot militia in, the, in one of the recent crises. 
So generally the issue is that the venue's size relative to the rental price and the high fixed costs such as lighting, engineers, security, promotion, artist fees and so on make it very difficult to organize profitable events in Abidjan. And it is in this context then that these new live spaces uh, developed. And um, these are new <coughs> spaces which are smaller generally, even though they can be quite large. And um, they are seen as a, uh, affordable performance spaces in which artists now perform live rather than via playback. And I'm just going to present four case studies um, which are part of my research project. The first is uh, Linterna, the Temple de Zulu, uh, which is about um, five minutes from my place, and I hear them regularly, even if I'm not there. Um, the Interna is one of the most internationally famous um, performance spaces for Zulu music. Um, it's also very f famous uh, locally. So if, if anyone asks me where I live, I say next to the Interna, and they know exactly how to get there. Um, it sees itself as a cultural space, so as an uh, espace culturel, they say, um, rather than a kind of open-air uh, restaurant marquee. Um, it's open mostly on Sundays. It's been in existence since 2009, and it can, host ha it can house about 1,600 people, and it's being enlarged to be able to house about 2,500. It's well known because it's got a very thorough marketing strategy. Um, it's uh, got this uh, Facebook page on which it regularly posts pictures of uh, concerts that have taken place there and also announces new uh, concerts, posting the flyers and the information. Um, at the same time, it uh, advertises on the well-known Ivorian news website, abidjan.net, .net, uh, as well as the site abidjanshow.com. Um, it's also got a partnership with one of the local radio stations, Radio, radio Jam, where it uh, is looking to host uh, a live transmission on web radio. So they're trying to kind of make use uh, of the internet uh, as, uh, as part of their marketing strategy. They also use uh, local radios uh, banners, flyers, etc., to advertise locally, because of course not everybody has regular internet access, although that is changing because a lot of people have internet access on their phones nowadays. Um, because this place is so well known, um, a lot of people come from elsewhere in, uh, in Abidjan. And that then pro uh, causes a problem because there's a general lack of security and especially in Yopougon, where there used to be a lot of roadblocks road uh, from the FSC soldiers, and attacks either among or against the F FSC soldiers were uh, giving Yopougon the reputation of being particularly unsafe. That now is changing because those roadblocks are no longer allowed. But at the time when I was doing this research uh, in Yopougon, um, it was very difficult uh, to travel. Uh, the internet doesn't change entry fees, um, as the current economic situation would probably then encourage people, discourage people to come, knowing that they would have to, to pay 
but they do sell beers by the by the pack of 10 wine i think by the pack of three and uh, soft drinks by the pack of five so if you're coming by yourself you <laughs> might find yourself <laughs> in trouble um nevertheless uh, uh, despite this uh, s sales strategy for drinks and despite the fact that all the sellers of food pay a fee to the venue um, the owner and the manager of the internet have said that um, that doesn't really allow them to make ends meet, so they now have the sponsorship of a mobile phone company. The next case study is uh, La Payotte, mm -hmm. another place that is now specializing in live Zuglu performances. It's catering to a much more local public. This is uh, a place that is on the outskirts of Yupugon, and the reason why this place was set up there is because there wasn't one, <laughs> according to the managers. They said if uh, the people in this neighborhood want to go and listen to live Zuglu, they always have to travel all the way into Yupugon, and this way we have a place that's catering to our local public. Um, they do all of their advertising um, offline, so they use uh, hand-painted cloth banners and flyers, um, they send out mass text messages, um, they would like to advertise in the local kind of celebrity magazines but said they haven't got the budget to do so yet. They also pay artists in function of their sales and they say it's difficult to have enough income to be able to host some of the big stars. And this is in some, uh, some examples of these uh, banners which are <coughs> ubiquitous in Abidjan. Um, kind of doing advertisement for Zuglo shows offline. And there's more. Uh, just moving on to the next case study. That's the Temple du Zuglo at uh, Rue Princesse. This place has opened also fairly recently in uh, September of 2012. The owner uh, previously owned another maquis, which was called La Station, and this old maquis was uh, bulldo bulldozed to the ground uh, as the mo much of the Rue Princesse was actually uh, destroyed or demolished. This was said officially to have been done in a measure of urban planning, uh, with the excuse that a lot of the maquis there were built without proper permission, they were blocking the, uh, the gullies, and it was <coughs> kind of the charge laid against them was basically disorder. Um, the manager of this marquis said that they have always paid uh, about 90 pounds a month for cleaning and maintenance of the street, uh, but regrets that his marquis was destroyed, uh, demolished nevertheless. Many people also regret the amount of jobs that were lost in this action uh, as the country was just coming out of a severe crisis. Um, he says that his, uh, the old Marquis uh, that he uh, managed would uh, have employed 18 people and the new Marquis can only employ 10. Um, rumor has it that the street was actually demolished uh, as it was regarded to be an area where Bagbo supporters congregate, so the supporters of the old government. And Bagbo himself was known to have made several well-publicized appearances at the Rue Princesse. So
So as many events, um, there's always a kind of political interpretation to a lot of stuff, a lot of things that happen, including of the things that happen in the cultural sector. This place can house about 700 people. And uh, other than the regular live shows, they also do uh, launches of new albums today. They used to uh, have uh, shows until the early hours of the morning, but now they end at about 10 o'clock because, again, the roadblocks uh, that were very current in uh, Yopougon at the time made it either unsafe or costly to travel there at night because if you're unlucky, you have to pay a fine. It's not quite clear what infraction you have caused to be able to, to, to incur that fine, but there's usually some sort of infraction. Um, then there's the Temple du Zouglou in Anumabo. Um, Anumabo is one of those places, it's in the other part of uh, Abidjan, in Makuri, and it is one of those places where there weren't any Zouglou spaces, and that's why one uh, was kind of, why one popped up. At the same time, also Anumabo is known as a kind of historical reference uh, in uh, Zouglou history because one of the most famous Zouglou groups comes from there. And so it was seen as inappropriate that this quarter didn't have a proper spot for live Zuglu music. Um, this is also a place where they, you have kind of large Zuglu families. And so those uh, younger Zuglu artists are being trained to be then put on stage to be discovered, uh, usually via, via playback, but it does give them a chance to perform before the big live performances of the evening. Now, all of those uh, different Zuglu spaces have uh, created not just a kind of employment for the people who work there, but at the same time, a kind of economy has cropped up around them. So you have people who sell uh, grilled chicken and fish, and uh, the uh, places themselves sell drinks. Um, some of them say that on a big night, you also have uh, more people staying in the local hotels. So. The idea then is that in Abidjan, the cultural sector would create employment not just within the cultural sector directly, but also in the kind of uh, adjacent sectors such as uh, food restoration mm -hmm. um, and lodging. Then in the if you think about the literature kind of looking at uh, the creative cities of the global north, the idea is more that having uh, cultural po policies that enable creative cities would attract uh, economic growth through companies that will invest in the area because the cities are seen as very livable spaces. And this is a very big difference in Abidjan because what is being looked at uh, is at the kind of adjacent uh, employment that is being created, not as the cultural sector being something that will attract investment uh, from other sectors. Um, at the same time, in Western literature, the creative class thesis has been criticized for its neglect of the flip side of lively creative economies, uh, meaning their continued reliance on low-wage, low-skill, manual, and insecure uh, service sector employment, such as the bar and restaurant work and waste disposal and retailing. Now, in Abidjan, it's exactly that kind of employment that is being seen as a positive side effect of the creative sector in a context where there is very little formal employment and very little uh, kind of empl employment uh, generally. Formal sector employment is a big problem in Abidjan. 
Now to quickly um, go into the idea of how was this possible? So how did Zuglu music go from a music that wasn't performed live to be able to have groups that, ca that can perform in these new spaces? Because <coughs> it's one thing to have the venues, but the venues also, of course, need to be filled by groups that are able to, to perform there. Now, uh, the story is this, that there used to be a competition uh, on Ivorian TV called Podium, and it was a Ivorian uh, version of, I think, what's called, uh, here it's called X Factor. So basically it's a music performance uh, competition, but for groups and orchestras and in instrumentalists. And it's those people who would perform on Podium who then uh, got together to, po to um, form Zuglu groups. Some of them got together with established Zuglu artists, and some of them got together on their own right to perform uh, to form a Zuglu group that uh, is able to perform live. Um, an artist was, uh, was saying to me that as an artist, I'd say it was necessary that we trusted those people who dared, because at the time it was very expensive to hire instruments, but we go on learning. Today I have my orchestra and I have my musicians. All that's left is to get my instruments, but that won't delay. So there was a kind of a question of taking a kind of a, a new step, a real leap in Ivorian music, because, um, and I'll get back to that, it is actually very expensive to get the instruments and the equipment. Now, one attraction of live music is that Zuglu artists earn considerably more than with a playback performance. And it's normally the competence as well as the popularity that determine how much an artist is paid for a performance. Um, Sorry, this is uh, the Rue Princesse and uh, some of the demolished uh, maquis. The, one of the roadblocks uh, in Yobougon. And that's where we are. Mm -hmm. um, so some of the benefits of having live gigs that artists have noticed, have uh, enumerated to me is uh, the ability to progress as an artist so that when playing live you can really show your talent and develop your talent as well as playing live is a way of expressing yourself as an artist that isn't possible when you do playback um, and of course uh, artists have not have mentioned that communicating directly with your fans is a big uh, positive point of live performances so Generally, the, the development of live shows in, uh, of Zuglu music is seen as a sign of uh, professionalization of uh, this genre and of the music sector generally in Ivory Coast. <coughs> now, um, just speaking at some of the difficulties um, of uh, that some of that these uh, live music uh, venues are facing and that the artists are facing. So one of them, and I've touched on that briefly, is the question of security. Uh, lack of security uh, is seen by people as a, as a real problem because it is said to uh, keep people from coming to the live venues and um, really uh, it was said to, to hinder creative energy. This has now changed because the roadblocks are no longer allowed 
Now there's a new problem in Abidjan, and that is the kidnapping and ritual murder of children and young women. And so the issue of security is something that uh, is recurring in different forms. Um, there's still a, a, a seen a lack of prof professionalization. So people say that one of the main problems is a lack of knowledge about the legal texts and that artists often feel that they don't really know uh, what texts they can base them on, they don't really know their rights, and they feel that they easily prey to uh, being cheated. Um, another uh, problem that artists have outlined is the lack of qualified personnel, so that there is no real qualified managerial staff to help artists kind of negotiate the cultural sector. Copyright piracy is seen <coughs> as still a major problem in these live shows because uh, some of the managers of these new uh, live spaces have said that many artists are reluctant to sing new songs in a live performance mm. as they're worried that audience member will record these on their mobile phones and then distribute them to radio station or private CD studios. Um, this is said to have happened. There's a song, Sikoji, by the artist Vyugaze, that was first released kind of on a pirate basis and then re-recorded properly by him. Um, but it's known to be a song that was first kind of uh, released unofficially. Other managers of these live performance spaces say that they are actually resistant to copyright piracies. Um, he says artists are paid for their performances and those in the audience can only record small parts. They can't record everything. That's to say you can't go and sell that. So that is the debate that is currently uh, being held in Abidjan. At the same time, I think the very existence of this debate reveals also the deep mistrust that has seeped into the artistic community as well as the pervasiveness of copyright piracy. Now, another issue uh, that recurs in conversations is the lack of financial means, because this is what prevents established artists from buying their own instruments. So even those who are well known often have to rent instruments. Um, it also prevents some of the new marquees that are being set up, so some of the new performance spaces that are being set up to have their own instruments at the venue and so having to rent the instruments along with all the other fixed costs then make the performances less profitable for the venues. The other financial issue is the lack of transparency. So a lot of uh, the income uh, and the money generated in the cultural sector uh, is accounted below the radar of the tax office. Um, which means that the government doesn't get to see the full scope of and importance of the sector, as well as uh, investors are not easily convinced of the worth of the sector, um, as the profits are not formally recorded and they usually do not pass to bank accounts. Now in Abidjan that seems to be a deliberate strategy because of the mistrust uh, that, is, that is so pervasive in the cultural sector. Um, and also, 
partly um, as a response to the management of state cultural institutions such as the Authors', Authors Rights Society, which is itself uh, been accused of very opaque accounting practices and has been the subject of repeated scandals. So the lack of transparency is something that permeates the cultural sector, not just in the case of these live venues, but uh, even in the kind of state linked institutions such as the Ministry of Culture and the Authorship Rights Society, Burida. Now on the policy level, um, it's seen that the, there's a real lack of political will to uh, formulate and uh, enforce cultural policy that would have a positive effect on uh, the cultural sector. For example, there aren't any tax incentives uh, for instruments and if somebody would like to bring a sound system from abroad to Cote d'Ivoire, that person would have to calculate about 50% of the buying price to cover the different, different taxes. When trying to organize uh, a concert, you also have to take into account the taxes uh, of the <coughs> municipality. So one of the um, calls that is being made is to uh, reduce the taxation of instruments um, or otherwise provide loans for artists specifically to buy instruments or for venues to uh, get the equipment or otherwise there's a call on the state to donate uh, sound systems and instruments to the most famous artists. Now that doesn't, th that's not actually that far-fetched in Ivory Coast because that's a practice that used to occur under Houphouet Boigny. Houphouet Boigny, the independence president, is known to have donated, for example, the entire sound system of the reggae star Alpha Blondie to him. So it's not, you know, it sounds like a very far-fetched idea. Why don't they just give us our sound system? <laughs> but it's something that has actually happened in Ivory history. Um, another uh, uh, challenge that is posed to the government is that there is a real lack of ideas. So that there isn't really any kind of uh, innovative cultural policy being formulated and also that the government authorities aren't ready to work ha hand in hand and not ready to consult with music practitioners. Um, and also the question of lack of political will that it's in the interest of, uh, of the government to have artists vulnerable so that they may more easily be manipulated, uh, as I've mentioned earlier. And one of the uh, managers of the Internat said that actually a foreign ambassadors from South Africa and Brazil came to a concert at the Internat without being officially invited. They just came because they heard it's a good place to go on a Sunday evening. And they said that if our own government would show the same interest in our work. It would be already a, a great start, a step in the right direction. So then what you get is a repeated call on the state, be it sponsoring or subsidizing a particular venue or lowering the taxes on equipment and instruments um, or providing loans for the buying of instruments. There's also been questions of getting subsidies on water and electricity bills or at least to legislate and enforce effective anti-piracy measures. A lot of the actors um, working in the cultural sector have other jobs uh, that they do at the side. 
And that demonstrates, of course, the difficulty to survive financially from activities in music and culture alone, which is a global trend. But it is also uh, reflective of the trend in Abidjan that a lot of people have numerous activities at once because each activity is not uh, has too low returns to be able to let you live with them. Finally, a lot of art, a lot of people that I've spoken to, whether they're artists or managers and owners of these venues, have have said that they work because they love the music and they love working in the music business. Many of them were already in the music business when they created these live venues, uh, and they say that it's difficult to stay uh, financially viable, but uh, it's the love of music that keeps them in that business. So an artist was saying, it's to promote and sell artists that aren't well known and to help those who, who are known to go forward. It's important to have a space where one can express himself in Zuglu, and our main objective is to advance Zuglu music uh, au premier rang, um, to the front. A uh, uh, marquee owner said, the first thing that the Authorship Rights Society, Burida, is interested in is how to make money of culture. While what preserves us, what, op what occupies us, is how to preserve this, uh, this thing. A radio journalist was saying that Zuglu music is the musical identity of Côte d'Ivoire, so we couldn't just let Zuglu music die. We had to find a platform to support Zuglu. And this platform is Fréquence Zouglou, which is a radio show that is uh, just dedicated to Zouglou music. And a Marquis owner, another Marquis owner said that one needs to congratulate the owners of Marquis and bars that do live music. It's very expensive, and in the end we don't earn much, but we do it to make music lovers happy and to make the youth happy. So as mentioned in previous uh, UN reports, so UNCTAD and UNDP mostly, developing countries face huge obstacles, such as, and they've come out in this t talk, but I'm going to just list these here, um, such as lack of investment, lack of entrepreneurial skills, inadequate infrastructure, absence of appropriate financing mechanisms, and weak, and, uh, weak institutional and legal frameworks to support the growth of the creative industries. And central to get back to the argument of uh, creative and uh, cultural and creative industries is Florida's um, argu argument on creative cities that in order to develop successfully, city regions must be attractive to the creative class, which would then allow investment from other sectors. And the artists and uh, cultural entrepreneurs of Abidjan are part of this creative class in Abidjan, but they themselves are struggling and not really able to work as a driver of development. The music sector is high risk and unstable and not necessarily the ideal condition for creating urban regeneration in a post-crisis context such as Abidjan. And to quote uh, Achille Mbembe, is the idea that creativity often manifests itself in the most in most ways as a capacity to manage provisionality, to improvise um, in a world of turbulence. So creativity then emerges 
as a result of a constant engagement with temporariness. And practically that means creating art while at the same time trying to build cultural institutions from scratch, which is what is happening in Abidjan. In Abidjan also, cultural consumption is a non-essential expenditure because fairly recent there had been uh, food riots in this city. So that a lot of people who enjoy going to see uh, music uh, on, on the evening, uh, on a night out, often don't have the financial means to spend a lot on drinks. And security uh, is continuing to pose a threat. So much has been made of the possibility uh, of the creative economy uh, to act as a driver of economic development. But the operators of these new live Zuglu spaces cite the difficulty of making ends meet and of keeping their uh, venues commercially viable. In some cases, this would not be possible without outside finances and sponsorship. <laughs> All mentioned that they're doing their work for the love of Zuglu music as a part of Ivorian identity. And that it is, and that despite the fact that it is challenging to stay afloat, all have uh, called on the state to create an enabling environment for the cultural <coughs> economy, as it provides a space for employment uh, of uh, the young people of Cote d'Ivoire and Abidjan, and it's also part of the preservation of an important part of Ivorian musical culture. So while it is true that uh, we need to take seriously the elements of the creative economy that cannot directly be linked to a commercial logic, at the same time, um, it's important that that commercial logic is being taken into consideration to the point of seeing that this uh, cultural economy uh, is able to continue existing. And I will leave it at that. That was extremely fascinating. Um, we've got some time for some questions and discussion and, and, and feedback and all kinds of things. Um, I'm going to misuse my authority and ask the first <laughs> question. Um, there's so much I'd want to talk about here, but in terms of political will and in terms mm. of the collection agency, yeah. I'm going to compare it a little bit to Mali because mm -hmm. I've been looking at Mali recently. Yeah. Now, Mali has got Bunda, which is yeah. the equivalent which is widely considered dysfunctional by yeah. Malian artists. However, there are signs, there are and they have a similar mm. issue with a collapsing domestic mm. economy and mm. mass piracy. There are signs recently that mm. there is some political will to get that off the ground mm. again. So where for several years they had some meetings where they perhaps only had attendances of 10, 15 mm. people, mm. just had a meeting with 100 people, mm. uh, which was chaired by a sort of television personality. And there seemed mm. to be a growing political will. And mm -hmm. one of the key factors seems to be, um, is there a large enough domestic market to make it worth their while to invest in yeah. it? Mm -hmm. um, but one of the other factors is the fact that a lot of Malian musicians, because of the success of Malian music in the world music market, have kind of learnt the basics from working with European um, publishers in mm -hmm. particular. Mm -hmm. And so they're bringing that knowledge back. Do you see any comparative I mean, is it, you did mention at the beginning that if an album is going to sell three million mm -hmm. in the domestic Cote d'Ivoire market, that is a lot of revenue potentially yeah. that might be, you know, leveraged into some political will. Is, can you just mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that? 
Um, the situation with Mali is, uh, is a co the comparison is quite interesting because, as you said, uh, Malian, musics ha Malian musicians have had much more experience um, in the world music uh, sector and have had, therefore, much more experience uh, abroad. And that's something that Ivorian musicians don't really have because Zouglou music isn't well known outside of the country other than one particular band, Zou uh, Magic System. Uh, which a lot of people don't know that it's actually Zouglou music. So you don't have that similar situation of kind of knowledge coming back from, uh, or knowledge about kind of global uh, music management practices coming back to Cote d'Ivoire in that way. So recently um, there was uh, a talk by uh, Blik Bassi, a Cameroonian artist who is currently living in France, on some of these issues on how to uh, you know, deal with new technological developments, how to do crowdfunding and, and other things, which was quite well attended. And the reason why it was well attended, which I was told then when asking people, why, you know, normally nobody comes, why, is, why are there so many people here, is because somebody came from outside. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's, that's a major issue. And um, there's always a lot of talk around the Burida, which has often been involved in different scandals, meaning that um, artists usually say that if you go there and you try to collect your uh, authorship rights money, they tell you it's not there because of piracy, whereas whatever there was has been pocketed by them anyway. So you have this kind of problem, and you have a very big image problem with the, with the Burida, that hasn't really sorted itself out. And there I don't really see a dynamic there to really kind of get things going. It's not really there. And the issue is that under the current Ouattara government, there aren't really many kind of very visible steps taken to promote culture, which is different from the Bagu government, which uh, was very involved in culture but involved to the degree of using artists for political mobilization and campaign songs. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's not an involvement that is trying to look at the structural issues of the Ivorian music industry. That's an involvement that other artists have said <coughs> is uh, making use of the vulnerability of artists, especially financially, and making them you know, sing for money. Yeah, it's a potentially naive question because um, music and the music industry is not my field at all. But um, I was wondering because um, in addition to the kind of world music circuit and that kind of globalized model of marketing music and creating revenues, there are of course local models of mm. making music profitable. And I mean, Cote d'Ivoire is at least partly in the Mande sphere where there are very successful models that have been modernized, the um, bard culture, the griots, mm. you know, they make millions now. Um, um, and this is also in a very different context happening, I believe, in uh, Congo Democratique, etc., yeah. um, with popular music. And you mentioned that at Gagbo at least tried mm. to instrumentalize Zouglou singers. So I wonder, is why is this not exploited more um, in, in Zouglou? Yeah, I think um, in Zouglou music you don't really have that... That tendency of uh, the kind of tendance griotique, so the kind of <laughs> griot tendency of um, singing praises to 
about a particular person. Um, because of the way that Zuglu developed as a kind of urban pop music, um, it's very critical, usually. The, the idea is that it's very engaged, socially and politically engaged music. So you don't really praise individuals on great length. What Zuglu music does um, textually is it exposes social problems mm -hmm. in the form of short narratives. Um, what does happen is more leaning on the Congolese model, mm -hmm. meaning having shout-outs for people mm -hmm. uh, that have supported the artists in some moral or financial way. Okay. It doesn't happen to the extent as it does in, in Congolese music. Um, and not everybody who's being shouted out is actually alive and able to, provi <laughs> to provide. <laughs> um, because you have this tradition of uh, rendering homage yeah. to those that have gone before. Mm -hmm. So it's not, a com th these shout yeah. outs are not yeah. done to a completely commercial logic, mm -hmm. but also to a kind of, uh, kind of geological yeah. logic. Um, and the some of it is also uh, not necessarily with a financial return, because often you have radio DJs being shouted out in the hope that they, these radio DJs will then at least play the music on the radio and make it known. Mm -hmm. So the link between a shout out okay. and money isn't as direct as it may be in Congolese music, but I don't want to overstate that because I don't know that the dynamics in Congolese music that well. Yeah, I would like to make a, a small contribution. Uh, mm -hmm. Zuglu was created uh, as a, a way of modernizing uh, music from uh, the western part of uh, Ivory Coast, which is where uh, Laurent Babu is from. So that's the reason why it's a bit associated with uh, supporters of Laurent Babu. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's uh, basically made up of drums and, like you say, grello. So uh, and it was brought into the modern, modern music by students. Uh, uh, called, uh, uh, from the University of Kokodi uh, to express uh, social problems, mm -hmm. so uh, difficult condition in studying mm -hmm. and student mm -hmm. uh, difficult life in, in, in universities. So uh, this has evolved through the years, and uh, uh, it's not just uh, in Yopubo and uh, in uh, some this sort of small of uh, Martian bars. Nowadays mm -hmm. they play play this sort of music in modern bars where you go in and uh, you pay a, a big time to get a good spot there to sit and, uh, uh, and enjoy the music. And what they do, they do also what you call uh, gr grill, spraying people. And then uh, what they do, is they do in a smart way, putting, uh, for example, a hat in the middle of the public. Mm -hmm. They praise you, you put money in there, mm -hmm. they can collect as much as 500, 1,000 mm -hmm. pounds within one hour or two. Mm -hmm. But this is not a sustainable way of making a living. Can happen once it just a while, but you cannot continue for a long time. So, uh, uh, what I want to say about uh, the big problem is effectively piracy. But I wonder if uh, uh, Zulu musicians are more uh, inclined to be famous than making money because I have a feeling mm -hmm. that these musicians, what uh, matters most of them is to be famous than mm -hmm. making money. What do you think about um. Of course, fame is something that then will allow other sources of, of income. So if you're famous enough, you can uh, get a sponsor, or you can sponsor mm -hmm. a certain product, mm -hmm. like 
cooking oil or soft drinks or mayonnaise, just to <laughs> name a few, toothpaste, that uh, have used artists. Now, th this idea of, having, of, of praising people at a concert while they're there and getting money directly mm -hmm. is much more common in Coupe de Calais music than okay. in Zuglu. So it, it happens in, in Zuglu music, but it's more common uh, in, in Coupe de Calais. So you have, you have a bit of that, but it's not the extent of that in Zuglu music isn't, isn't as large. And of course, the place that I was showing, for example, the Palais de la Couture is one of those places. And of course, now you have other private bars uh, of politicians where you can pay up to three, 300 pounds for a seat. But that's not the norm. That yeah. is not the kind of places that the generally void public will go to. And yeah, the development of Zuglu music from the university, from Ambiance Facile Voyo and all of that, that's my PhD. I didn't have time to <laughs> go into that. <laughs> I was just thinking, I, 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 I'm not familiar with this uh, context at all, but um, you'd, you'd think that these venues, they seem to, I don't know, I, you'd think that they might have some kind of following that would maybe be, if there's no government will to kind of deal with the issue of piracy, could be a, um, a kind of ground up effect, if you see what I mean, is that you think that, that there might be some kind of local... Uh, well, there might be some loyalty, I suppose, to these venues <laughs> that might then... Mm, I don't know, I don't know if that mm. relates at all to, to what um, you're talking about. It's something that Zuglu artists kind of say to their, to their publics and to their audience and again and again. If you like our music, buy original CDs. It doesn't necessarily happen and there's, a, there's different problems there. The original CDs are three times as much or more than uh, pirated ones. Um, nowadays a lot of people get their music without, with bypassing CDs altogether and they get the, star, the, the ringtones on their phones. Mm -hmm. And um, so you have, you have some of these issues. Also another issue is that the original CDs are not well distributed meaning you can't get them everywhere the way you, that you can get pirated cities everywhere. Um, th that's another issue. <coughs> so what a lot of people do is they go uh, to live shows to support their artists there, and if it's somebody who's kind of known as, a, as somebody who's got is a sponsor or well-known, um, then you will have a situation where their name is being shouted out, and that person will then come up on stage and very publicly spray money on that artist. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> that that does happen, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, thank you for that. That was really interesting. Mm. Um, I just returned from India to the UK, and then um, some of the issues we raised sort of uh, in a bit of a mm. um, The question I actually wanted to put to you among several, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have time for that. Is um, well, the, the the thing is that like, there's as much of a problem with copyright and piracy there, yeah. as in you have big stars, but they don't even bother. Getting audiences to even buy CDs. Mm -hmm. uh, similarly, you have uh, recording studios that are known for cranking hit after hit out. Uh, mm -hmm. They supplement their um, budgets with, or they supplement, they basically run on events and commercial sales for like uh, advertising and that sort of thing. 
But uh, what I found there is that, and uh, this is in directly actually goes to the um, research and performance space, is that everyone seems to be making money off the free. Yeah. And a lot of that. And you have corporate sponsors as well. Yeah. Um, the question of piracy seems to be circumvented by that because it seems to be a sort of a losing game anyway because mm -hmm. people aren't even bothered with that. Yeah. And uh, I just wanted to know if the musicians you interacted with, how economically, what were the gigs that were really driving them? It's, it's become gigs, it's become gigs. And then that brings another problem, is that uh, now you have an issue of a lack of producers. And uh, it's very much focused on gigs. And now some of the artists are saying, well, the problem we have is we haven't got new albums mm -hmm. to promote. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so the focus on gigs has, has become quite strong to that point, that then uh, some some say now we're lacking albums that we can actually play on those gigs, which is you know, true to some extent. There's new albums being released, but there are some artists that have <coughs> been around for a long time that haven't released anything in years, and uh, they are very busy. They're known to be very busy managing live spaces. So they may have actually changed roles, you know, g coming from starting to be an artist, using that fame to then launch a live space, and uh, living of the revenues of that life space that everybody knows belongs to this or that artist and then performing there from time to time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, it, it is changing and uh, gigs is becoming the, 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 bigger, the bigger deal. On that point, it's just worth noting that mm -hmm. in that sense, uh, there's possibly a diminishing gap between the experience of, you know, popular musicians mm -hmm. in the West mm -hmm. and in Africa is exactly the same problem. Yeah. In, yeah. You know, life is where the money is mm -hmm. and copyright yeah. has become a big issue because nobody knows how to replace physical sales yeah. online. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so that's a sort of interesting yeah. kind of subtext. Uh, Ilana, do you yeah. have a question? Yes. Um, hi, Sam. I'm from yeah. the music department. We really miss you in Atlantic Africa. Um, <laughs> as such, I would just like to register a small complaint that I would have loved to hear some of the music. Anyway, I'd just like to push back a little bit against this discussion of piracy mm -hmm. going mostly unquaried. Um, I work on East Africa, and in East mm -hmm. Africa, they don't really, uh, they look at piracy as being part of the music economy as well. Yeah. Um, specifically, I don't know if you've read Alex Perula's new book on Dar es Salaam, but he has a wonderful chapter on the, sort of the role that piracy plays in distribution yeah. Um, this is this is a problem, obviously, for the musicians um, because it's their livelihood. But you're talking about a lack of entrepreneurial skills in the music economy, and people who they, yeah, pirates have the entrepreneurial skills. Um, could you tell us a little bit more if you know, um, and if not, I'd love to hear about it um, uh, about how piracy works. Um, the specifics, because it's a really broad-range question. Yeah. Um, it's something, another thing that I haven't really got the, the chance or the time to, to, to get into in this, uh, in, in this talk. Um, for a long time there was, again, I'm now speaking mostly under what happened under the Bagbo government, because there's more information um, available on that, uh, considering that the, the change of government is well, fairly recent, it's been a while now. Uh, under the Bagbo government there was again this uh, kind of political allegations that the pi piracy um, was happening a lot on the university campus. So in those IT studios on the campus, um, where people would do kind of the printing up of essays and all of that, they would also pirate CDs locally. 
and that those CDs would then be sold uh, to a large extent at a kind of uh, Abidjan speaker's corner, uh, the Sorbonne, which is the kind of uh, public speaking area, where a lot of people who were for the old government would speak and hold the, their kind of loyalist pro-government thesis under the Ivorian crisis. And so the idea was that uh, these recording studios were being controlled by the student union, which was pro-government, and which had a very uh, powerful kind of militia wing, so that the police wouldn't go on campus to uh, demolish these studios for political reasons, but also because it was sort of too dangerous to pick a fight with the, with the kind of militia wing of the old student union. That was what was part of it. And then also that the CD of pirated CDs were partly funding the kind of speaking space in which uh, the, the ideas that were supporting the old government and the kind of uh, speeches against the rebellion were being, uh, were being held. And then at the same time, it was said that those people who were importing the pirated CDs from East Asia were also uh, reporting them via Benin uh, and Togo, Accra, and so on and so on, and that they were also um, enjoying government protection. Mm -hmm. So that these two, kind of the local international piracy, both had a kind of uh, political dimension to it. That's the way that um, these things were being portrayed at the time. Um, of course, you have this thing that, the, like I said, the, the, piracy, the piracy networks have much better distribution networks than the kind of official record companies. You can find pirated CDs pretty much everywhere, although that has also gone down a bit recently. You find less of them. Um, although you still have <coughs> ambulant vendors. And one of the issues that people are trying to do is getting ambulant vendors to sell original CDs. Or now another initiative that has been done is to have uh, local, like small kiosks where you can buy original CDs and original cultural products. Um, that's been a couple of years now. The kiosks are there, but I've never seen any of them staffed. Mm -hmm. So that hasn't really gone anywhere. So you have some of these um, initiatives. And artists have also said that it's, the, it's piracy that has made them known. And mm -hmm. so in some ways, artists are kind of trying to get their music into the pirate market, because knowing that they're not going to get anything from the sales anyway. There's an, initi an issue of saying, well, if we can get a pirated CD to the DJs, they're mm -hmm. going to play our stuff, mm -hmm. and this way we'll be known, and we'll be able to make more money from gigs. So you have that dy dynamic as well. Yes, at the back. Yeah. Down mm -hmm. Nike and public mm -hmm. spaces. So 
I, I wouldn't say so. I think that would be sort of overstating it. Um, on the issue of uh, kind of strategies of success uh, for coupe décalé singers and Zulu artists. Now, Zulu artists are kind of known to sort of, until today, release traditional albums. So albums in a traditional sense, <coughs> having a CD that has at about at least six to eight songs on it. And coupe décalé artists are seen to live much more of the kind of of the kind of industry of fame that's generated around them. So they will mostly uh, put out singles, um, and with their music, their music is not based as much on kind of song texts and narrative styles and uh, social critiques. Um, Zulu music, uh, Kalu music is more based on kind of concepts and new dances and the kind of idea of a certain lifestyle around the artist. So, uh, Coupe de Calais music uh, is much more known for having initiated kind of new fashions. And then you have the whole idea of, which is also, again, it's, di it's dangerous to, it's, there's a danger of overstating it because the initiator of the Coupe de Calais uh, movement was known for something that is called travaillement. It's kind of uh, a play on the idea of working. And now the working that he would uh, kind of propose would be distributing money to the people at the gig. Now, what is said that he made more money than he distributed at at each time, but uh, there was so there's a kind of a different idea of of fame there. And if you have, if you look at some of the Coupe de Calais songs, um, there's also kind of a different global imaginary because you have these artists kind of filming themselves <coughs> in Paris in front of the Tour Eiffel and giving out $100 bills to <laughs> Europeans, <laughs> and who are all basically background characters in, in, in that cast. And the main artists, are, um, the, the main players are Ivorian artists who are celebrating their success abroad and also then celebrating their success back home. Mm. Now, the idea, the, the kind of question is of where that money came from. A lot of the kind of urban legends is that that, that money came out of internet scams. Um, <laughs> that is kind of the kind of founding legend of Coupe de Calais. Most mm. artists, most DJ artists, so Coupe de Calais has kind of merged with the music that's generally called DJ music, and most DJ artists nowadays are not internet scammers, and they don't distribute. So that is really kind of the, the, the legends around the founding father of the Coupe de Calais movement, Duc Saga. Yeah. So just on those kind of imaginaries of fame mm -hmm. and money. Mm -hmm. And of what it means to be an artist. Mm -hmm. yeah. Got a question over here. Thanks. With uh, regards to the, the whole idea of creative industries driving yeah. the economy mm -hmm. in the context, most of the African context, considering the fact that um, the industry itself is quite precarious in terms of part-time yeah. labor, lack of pensions, etc., etc. In the work that you've done so mm. far, how, how credible is that notion that uh, creative industries vis-a-vis -vis many other industries that are already in existence within a country, that they out of the others actually drive the economy to grow even better? Because there's, I think, ample amount of work that I'm mm. the fact that that's understandable. Yeah. Um, it's, it's sort of uh, that issue that I was kind of trying to bring forth in, in that talk, is that that's, um, it, it, 
it's it's not I don't I don't know if it's really feasible to put out a, a thesis of the creative and cultural industries in the music industry to be able uh, to be a driver of development in the absence of any sort of supporting structures and infrastructures and um, you do have situations where artists have uh, become very famous very famous and made a living of their music but I don't know whether that can be um, a model for development in the absence of, of any sort of a, uh, supporting structures and infrastructures. So, in a way, there it, it's, it seems as though that is kind of an idea that's very nice to put out because you know there's so much potential. But for that potential to go somewhere, I think uh, you, you can't just count on, uh, on on the artists alone or the cultural interpreters alone. And uh, yeah, the co the comparison uh, to other industries that would I think lead me outside <laughs> of, <laughs> of, of, of my knowledge. So I leave it there. I wonder if she could say a bit more about because from what you say, they're quite dependent on gigs now, and mm -hmm. so obviously that raises the issue of relations between the managers of the venues and, mm -hmm. and the artists. Mm -hmm. You seem to suggest that there was quite a lot of mistrust in some cases, so I wonder if you could just say a bit more, and I mean, are the, the managers of the venues turning into, you know, more seasoned entrepreneurs, and that, I mean, how does it all work, or are they very dependent on sponsorship? I mean, what's what's the economy of that particular mm. relationship? There's um, a lot. I mean, there's a lot of kind of uh, what what's happening is a kind of a sign of of professionalization. Even the ab able to be able to negotiate with sponsors to get your your venue up and running and sponsored. Um, the relationship between the managers and the artists is, I mean, the Ivorian music scene is a very kind of competitive place and it's also a, pl a place where there are a lot of rivalries. So you have a lot of, you have this kind of elbowing and bickering, but I have the feeling that the managers of the venues and the artists do see themselves of kind of being on the same side, for lack of a better term. So you have a lot of artists giving shout-outs to the uh, venues where they often perform. And a lot of venues are being run by uh, artists or former artists or people who are already in the music sector. So um, I think the, the mistrust isn't as pervasive in, in that part but the mistrust is more towards the uh, kind of institutions like the Burida or the, the Ministry of Culture. Mm. Although you do have that sort of bickering of, oh yeah, well, I should have written, gotten paid more and these people are not serious and this artist says he's gonna come but when he turns up, he's already always already so drunk that he can't perform. And you know, those kind of things, yeah. but that's those are things that are part of the cultural industry, not just in Cote d'Ivoire but elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Similar cases in the same third world where there was a, a tendency to apply rules to fight piracy and protect uh, intellectual property rights. There was a kind of uh, lean uh, uh, from our
outside, whether by companies mm -hmm. or by governments, mm -hmm. to show that new, new administration is kind of respecting the rule of law and whatever. Mm -hmm. And from your talk, did you detect anything? Who benefits from fighting piracy? Is mm -hmm. it, I mean, the, there should be another winner in this case, mm -hmm. local or international mm -hmm. yeah. in this case. Can yeah. you detect? Uh, I wouldn't say because I don't see uh, a concerted effort to fight piracy uh, happening. So uh, th that is actually kind of the question of um, of what it would take to to um, tackle that issue of piracy. And of, uh, as I said, one of the issues that has been um, brought out is getting. Uh, the original cities distributed more effectively and using the pirates to help distribute uh, those original cities. And that's... The other ones, uh -huh. the government, uh -huh. the turn a blind eye, I'm not uh -huh. talking also uh -huh. about the uh, Far East ones, uh -huh. you know, similar uh -huh. in a case of development to, uh -huh. to, to, to Ivory Coast, that whether local businesses uh -huh. turn a blind uh -huh. eye to it, uh -huh. Or when they fight it, mm -hmm. they show international organizations, look how good we are. Mm -hmm. So my question mm -hmm. is, is, is to say, did the Ivory Coast, the mm -hmm. new administration, mm -hmm. show it to French mm -hmm. interests mm -hmm. or international yeah. interests or uh, UN, uh, you mm -hmm. know, that yeah. look after this kind of stuff to say, look how good we are, yeah. give yeah. us money, for yeah. instance, for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah. Not really. And I think I think the current current government is trying to distance it, it itself from culture altogether because <laughs> of it's the relationship the between the old <laughs> government. And that, like I said, it's seen as a neglect and a disdain. Mm. But I don't see any real kind of policy being put into place uh, to please anyone. There's a lot of things being said about the uh, current government trying to please uh, France by any means. <laughs> But not by musical means. But we're not looking at a situation yeah. where French copyrights are being yeah. endangered yeah. by yeah. the domestic repertoire, yeah. are we? I mean, it's, no. not a copy, it's not going to produce copyrights it is for export. It's all about the domestic. No. I mean, market. there are um, CDs uh, from French and American artists that are circulating, but I don't think French or American artists really care. They don't have Ivory Coast on their radar. Yeah. It's so small as to be yeah. negligent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks, um, uh, I, I want to ask um, if maybe the sort of the slight sort of em that you'd sort of identified so much with the musicians and maybe like they're saying that there was a problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, clearly, Cote d'Ivoire has lots of problems, and I get the impression not. But I mean, I, I slightly pick up between the lines mm. that maybe that the cultural industries are sort of, or the, mu the music in some way is sort of flourishing. It's, uh, I mean, mm. that, um, I'm terribly sort of interested to know who you recommend that we should listen to and all that kind of <laughs> thing. And, um, I, I wonder, I mean, like sometimes I get the feeling that a lot of these people or from vaguely maybe similar situations sort of feel like they ought to say there's a problem and that um, there's a lack of, they sort of talk about a lack of professional managers and we don't understand the law and this kind of thing. When, I mean, compared to, y you could make an argument, maybe this is s 
silly, but you could make an argument that compared to whatever else is happening in Cote d'Ivoire, that it's mm. kind of doing surprisingly well. And um, I don't know. Well, argue against that. Yes. No. Yes. Um, the fact of the matter is that these uh, live spaces are all still existing, despite yeah. the fact that they're all saying it's really yeah. difficult to make ends meet. And I suppose it is difficult to make in ends meet, but at the end of the day, it seems to be worth it. Mm -hmm. And these places are often really packed. And uh, people say, oh, we don't have money to spend on beer and culture, but people do turn up, <laughs> you see? So I think, uh, it's part of, it's, I think it's part of partly also a kind of researcher dynamic. You come up and you want to hear, you know, how are things going, how, what's happening, how does this whole place work? And they say, you know, it could be much better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you ask any Londoner about whatever they're doing, and life could be so much easier. <laughs> so I think there's there's a part of of of, of wishing that things would work better and they would work easier. And as people people are recognizing <coughs> the problems that they're facing, doesn't mean that uh, things are you know, going terribly badly. There's a shift in the way that the music industry works. And that is what's been, what I'm partly trying to demonstrate from the kind of uh, bankruptcy of showbiz, which was nevertheless housing about 80% of releases. Pretty much any release you would used to see in Ivory Coast in the 1990s would have the showbiz stamp on the back. Mm -hmm. That was the reference. Mm -hmm. And the fact that that no longer exists was an eye-opener for people. And showbiz wasn't just a reference in Ivorian music because a lot of uh, Congolese or Malian music that you would get for a while would also have the showbiz stamp on the back. Um, so it's, it's, I'm partly looking at that change in the way that things are, are working. And um, I mean, certain things uh, have been so difficult as to lead to you know, uh, the bankruptcy of a major player like showbiz. But at the same time, like I said, these places are still around. So they haven't gone bankrupt. So did I even pick up that maybe they were opening more than? They yeah, had there's been. more, more. There's more people. There's more and more of them opening, and that then creates another problem. Meaning there is, they're eating into each other's yeah. audiences. Yeah. Can you just say something about? I was interested to hear you say that one of the um, the ways in which the artists talk about the music mm -hmm. is in terms of preservation. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a relatively new. Mm -hmm cultural phenomenon, mm -hmm. comparing it, say, mm -hmm. to Rio. Mm -hmm. So you can't draw too much on the kind of, you know, preservation of ancient culture. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it seems strange, and perhaps it's part of the, 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 the whole strange temporality of popular music in general, which mm -hmm. is that, you know, the idea that you want to preserve it at the mm -hmm. same time as it changes yeah. all the time. It emerges in particular, you know, cultural and political environments, yeah. and then mixes and changes. So what do they mean preserve it? I mean, what are they trying to, what, what, what mm. elements of it are the authentic elements that require preservation? And isn't that mm. intention with the desire of the audience to, mm. for, to, for newness? Um, uh, I'm going to kind of go back a bit to answer that. So Zuglu music is um, very new as a, po as a form of culture, popular culture, because it only emerged in the 1990s. And it emerged out of, um, Boyo and Ambiance Facile, which is a, a kind of uh, leisure and percussion music that was played at the sports competition um, of Ivorian schools. And then as those students went on to university, they took that 
form of cultural pastime with them. Now, Woyo and Ambiance Fasil have uh, roots in what he mentioned earlier, Aluku and Tohu, which are music which are kind of broadly from the west of Cote d'Ivoire, but Zuglu music also draws on musics from all uh, other regions of the country. And because it's urban and because it draws on music from all different regions, it has been seen as Cote d'Ivoire's first truly national music, which is not a regional and therefore ethnic music. And so it's that part that makes Zulu music part of Ivorian national cultural identity, which therefore warrants preservation. Now, Zulu music has had uh, at least three ge generations. So there was a generation of the people who came out of university and who started this music. That was seen as the generation of precursors, so the first generation of Zulu music. And then the second generation is that generation that really made Zulu music famous, and that's the generation that's seen as the generation that uh, became famous as playback singers and in the studios and releasing their music on CDs, and uh, that really taken off. And now you have the third generation and the new generation, and that's the generation of um, artists that play live a lot. So groups like the As the Zuglu or Zuglu Makers, which I played, um, yeah, are, are those groups which are part of the new generation. And each time the sound has changed slightly. And in a way, the three songs that I was playing at the beginning were actually <coughs> examples of the different styles of each, broadly speaking, generation. And these are generations that have come up from about 1990. So those are fairly short generations, as is the case in, in popular culture. I hope I answered your question. You did. didn't go, <laughs> didn't go <laughs> away at all. <laughs> no. Okay, perhaps have time for one, three more, yeah. Yeah, I know that is the topic of the talk that you'll give in September at the British Academy, but you just said some buzzwords that mm. prompt me to ask a question, because you said that, so Zuglu creates a national identity, mm. and uh, we all know that Cote d'Ivoire is a <coughs> linguistically and ethnically very diverse country. And you said musically it's achieved by drawing in all kinds of musical styles. But you know that I must ask how this is linguistically achieved. So, you know, what yeah. is the language mix and what's the message? Or is the message that just we use all the languages because mm. we are people? Mm. Um, Zuglu music draws for the main part of its song text on what is called Ivorian popular French. Mm -hmm. So it's the type of French that is spoken in, in Côte d'Ivoire um, <coughs> with a kind of smattering of Nushi, which okay. is the Ivorian street slang. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people overstate the role of Nushi because the idea of uh, the Zuglu songs is that as many people as, as possible understand its, their, its narrative. Mm -hmm. So that you get, usually you get the key part of the text of Zuglu songs in Ivorian popular French. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you have the use of a lot of different Ivorian national languages. <coughs> um, languages that often kind of show up are the big national languages. So Dula, which is uh, considered a lingua franca anyway. Bete, because uh, it's kind of from that region generally that a lot of the, the musical rhythms come from. And also Baule, because there's a number of very famous Zulu singers of Baule heritage. And then others, other languages as well. For example, Ibrié, which is kind of spoken in the Abidjan area, or Giré, because there's a number of famous Giré Zulu artists as well. Mm -hmm. So, and these um, different languages sometimes show up in the same song. Mm -hmm. 
So you will have a song that not just uses French and Nushi, but will also use multiple Ivorian languages. What often happens is that the same ideas are taken up, or sometimes even <coughs> the direct translation mm -hmm. of the French text mm -hmm. is taken up in a national language, mm -hmm. but not every time. Sometimes it's being elaborated on as well in a national mm -hmm. language. Mm -hmm. So there are, there are different dynamics, mm -hmm. and it's something that uh, I'm going to be looking at in mm -hmm. more detail. Yeah, I know for sense of humor plays a lot of part yeah. in, in Zulu music. Do you have one particular you really like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why don't we do it? <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Actually, you mentioned sense of humor. Yeah. Yes, it's something actually that's quite important speaking about Zulu music generally, um, is that uh, it uses a lot of satire and irony, mm -hmm. a kind of, uh, because Zulu singer said, what we want to do is we want to talk about what's going on in Cote d'Ivoire on a daily basis in our neighborhoods. But you don't get listeners unless you have something interesting to say. And often they use that part of humor, satire, and irony mm -hmm. to get listeners. Um, and I wouldn't know even to begin to say which is my favorite Zulu song, textually or even musically. But I can finish off uh, with uh, the songs that I played earlier for those people who came in late and who didn't hear them. Because also I didn't bring all of the songs onto my USB key, which is somewhere there. Mm -hmm. So I'll just finish with those. Yeah, do that. That'll that's be cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Let me uh, play them quickly, uh, play snippets, and give you an idea of how they fit into the different generation. Mm -hmm. So the, the group I'm playing now is a second generation group, but the song is quite heavy on that kind of Zulu-style percussion. Mm -hmm. So that's why I picked that. That song is complaining about tattletales, gossipers, and those people who sit and lie about other people's lives. So that just as an example, um, let me play something that's, uh, so this is the group Meleke, the song is called Bakbato. Uh, this is Espoir 2000 with the song Jalousie. Uh, it's complaining about uh, the jealousy of journalists who are trying to pull Zulu down. 
and saying that despite all of your criticisms, we're actually doing quite well. And this is an example of kind of second generation. Some shout Now, for a new group, Zuglu Makers, with the song Jamo Jamo, that's incorporating some of that live so sound, because this is a group that actually became known for their live performances before recording an album. Thank you very much. I hope you'll join with me to thank them for a very fascinating <laughs> <laughs>